KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Another round of border restrictions and the impact on local businesses. Over 200 businesses have closed their doors, and they attributed this to the border restrictions, not to the pandemic. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Republican candidates sparred in a recall debate this week. He further played politics with the vaccine and had the slowest rollout of any state in the country and did not prioritize seniors. So I would have done those things very differently. We'll have a fact check of everything said and a book festival in our weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Today, the Department of Homeland Security announced another extension of its closure of the nation's northern and southern borders for another month. The decision comes despite Canada opening its borders to vaccinated American travelers. The extension of closure is particularly felt here in San Diego's region, where a number of local businesses continue to suffer as a result of the restrictions. Joining me now with more on what this could mean for the businesses in the region is Kenya Zamaripa, the Executive Director of International National Business Affairs at the San Diego Regional Chamber of Commerce. Kenya, welcome. Good morning and thank you for having us. How will the extension of this closure of the southern border impact our region's economy? I think it's not a matter of how it will, but how it has. It's been, you know, a year and a half of ongoing restrictions. Uh, We thought that we were looking at the light at the end of the tunnel a few months ago when DHS started visiting the region, uh, reaching out to us and local authorities to hear precisely about the negative impact border restrictions have caused in our region. However, we are disappointed once again to learn that we have to wait another 30 days to evaluate this. So anything from tourism, hospitality, restaurants, entertainment, which were already being impacted by the pandemic, now they are even more challenged into what reopening for them or reactivating their economy even means. If you look at San Isidro, for example, which is the closest community to the border and the largest port of entry in the whole U.S.-Mexic land border, over 200 businesses have already closed their doors permanently. And they attributed this specifically to the border restrictions, not to the pandemic. The impact of this is so far-reaching. What's your understanding, though, of why DHS chose to extend its existing border restrictions? We have access to the exact same information that everyone does. DHS has met with their partners in the Mexican and Canadian governments, and they have shared that they're working on some sort of plan, reopening gradually, or even identifying those standards or metrics that would allow to lifting those border restrictions. However, no information has been shared so far. There is no transparency at all on what those factors are or what those optimal standards would look like. Um, There's also little transparency in what the plan for reopening is. 
whether there's consideration of showing proof of vaccination and or a negative COVID test, whether proof of vaccination means all vaccines or a specific list. Um, and all of that also causes great uncertainty across the business sector, whether or not you're in, involved in trade or in uh, tourism at all. What are you hearing from business owners about the ongoing border closure? Huge disappointments, even, you know, disappointed but not surprised. A lot of uncertainty, as I mentioned, and growing frustration against the federal government and feeling like they have been left behind and that the border communities are not understood. And this is often something that we deal with in other areas. D.C. is really far away from us. On the Mexican side of the border, Mexico City is really far away from the border as well, which means that, um, you know, in, in terms of what we do at the chamber is, you know, we lead those annual delegation trips to both capitals and in hopes to help educate the government and decision makers as to what the border dynamics are and how much we depend on that uh, flow, both of trade and traffic, whether that's cross-border workers, U.S. citizens navigating back and forth, such as myself, I live in Tijuana, work in San Diego, and just visitors, which are a huge component of the market here in the border. Was anyone expecting that the closure would be extended again? We had hopes in terms of vaccination efforts. You know, we were home to that first uh, cross-border vaccination pilot program in San Diego, in which over 26,000 workers in Tijuana were vaccinated um, at the port of entry without crossing, which brought up vaccination rates in Tijuana and Mexicali to a comparable rate to San Diego. So there's also that feeling of feeling of being discriminated against. Why does any foreign visitor from Mexico or Canada, if, why are they allowed to fly into the States? And how come the cross-border workforce and visitors that live in the border region are being told they, they're not essential and they cannot cross? However, they can just as easy just book a flight to Mexico City and then fly into the States with no problem. There's some criticism about how these border policies are being implemented and how that's disproportionately affecting some. Um, Talk to me a bit more about that. What's your feeling on this? Well, I would say that the overall feeling from the business community um, that we represent at the chamber is frustration, uncertainty, which then triggers that need for um, knowing what can can they plan on doing. it's a huge disappointment to learn. It was in July to learn that border restrictions were once again extended. Uh, we hear now the same thing in, in August. There is already hesitation to think, well, is it going to be until December? Is it going to last until March of 2022 and then turn two years old? Something that in the border community and historically we, have, we could have never anticipated and it's been far too long. And I would say that month by month, the number of of companies and businesses that depend on that facilitation of of the movement of people and goods across the border, their ability to survive during this pandemic because of the border restrictions is going to decrease the longer we go. And then we're going to look at metrics at one point in the future and realize how many jobs and how many businesses were lost because border restrictions were not lifted in time. 
I've been speaking with Kenya Zamaripa, the Executive Director of International Business Affairs at the San Diego Regional Chamber of Commerce. Kenya, thank you so much. Thank you for having us all. We're very happy to hear from PPBS. Republican recall candidates criticized Governor Gavin Newsom's record on COVID-19 and wildfire prevention in a debate in Sacramento this week. Cap Radio's PolitiFact California reporter Chris Nichols fact-checked their claims in this week's Can You Handle the Truth segment. He spoke with anchor Randall White. Chris, GOP Assemblyman Kevin Kiley of Rockland attacked Newsom for his handling of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. Let's listen to what he said. He further played politics with the vaccine and had the slowest rollout of any state in the country and did not prioritize seniors. So I would have done those things very differently. Did Kylie get these claims right? He got some of this right. Right now, there's plenty of vaccine supply. But if we remember back to late January, things were very different. California's vaccine rollout per capita was among the slowest in the country, according to the CDC. State officials at the time blamed the federal government for not providing enough doses. Kylie's other claim about not prioritizing seniors needs some context. Initially, California gave priority to healthcare workers, farm workers, and teachers, but by late January, it had changed its strategy to an age-based approach, moving people 65 and over to the front of the line. Chris, we know that for adults, COVID-19 is far more lethal than the flu. But during the debate, candidate and San Diego businessman John Cox made some questionable statements about the risk children face from COVID-19 compared to the flu. Our children are already scared enough about this. Uh, we More children died of the flu than have died of COVID, and we never required masks when we had the flu. More deaths from the flu than COVID. Is that accurate? No, Cox is wrong about this. To be clear, it's rare for children to die or even be hospitalized from either virus, but the evidence so far shows it's COVID-19 that's more harmful to children. A recent study by the CDC shows the number of hospitalizations tied to COVID-19 among adolescents was about three times greater than those related to the flu. Also, the CDC reported that Just one child in the United States died of the flu last winter, compared with nearly 200 the previous winter. Masks and social distancing are credited with that drastic decline. By contrast, more than 350 children have died of COVID-19 during the pandemic, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. Chris, during the debate, both Cox and former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner criticized Governor Newsom for what they said was misleading the public about accomplishments on wildfire preparedness. Uh, With all the wildfires burning across Northern California, this is a timely topic. But did the candidates get this right? Yes, they are right about this. Cap Radio's Scott Rod reported back in June that the governor vastly overstated the number of acres Cal Fire had treated with fuel breaks and prescribed burns on some high-priority forestry projects. Cap Radio's investigation also found that Newsom cut approximately $150 million last year from the state's wildfire prevention budget. That's right. And following that investigation, the governor made a last-minute change to the state's budget. Remind us about that. 
In early July, Newsom added an additional $500 million in wildfire prevention funds, doubling what was in the budget deal at the time. Good to know as always, Chris. Thank you, Randall. That was CAP Radio's PolitiFact California reporter Chris Nichols speaking with anchor Randall White. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. This weekend in the arts, world-class cellist Yo-Yo Ma brings his crossover bluegrass ensemble to the shell. Twain Fest returns to an in-person outdoor event, and we have the virtual Union Tribune Festival of Books, including our 2021 One Book, One San Diego announcement. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. First up, Yo-Yo Ma comes to the shell on Sunday with his project, Goat Rodeo. Tell us about this performance. Right. This ensemble is made up of Yo-Yo Ma on cello, also Stuart Duncan on fiddle. He's been a studio musician for Dolly Parton and Alison Krauss. There's also Edgar Meyer, who's the bassist. He's performed with Bela Fleck and Joshua Bell. And then Chris Thiele, who we all know from Nickel Creek and Punch Brothers. He'll be on mandolin and vocals. And also joining in on vocals is special guest Aoife O'Donovan. And they're celebrating a new album. It's called Not Our First Goat Rodeo, which is a good name for their second album. And it doesn't exactly have anything to do with goats, but the title, Goat Rodeo, is it's more a nod to the sort of chaos that's at stake with the music they perform. So it's this mixture of improvisation and, and really intricate compositions. The idea that any wrong turn, any wrong note, anything could go wrong at any time. And this new album draws on bluegrass, folk, experimental and contemporary music, as well as Chinese classical styles. And we're listening to The Trappings, which is a song from the 2020 Not Our First Goat Rodeo album. We sing in the chill of the morning, still drunk on our option, to the angel settling down. Not Our First Goat Rodeo will take place at the Rady Shell Sunday at 7.30 p.m. We should note that the San Diego Symphony will not perform. Uh, let's switch gears to 19th century literature. Twain Fest returns to an in-person festival, and this time they're at Heritage Park in Old Town. What can we expect? Twain Fest is a free all-day outdoor festival. It's for all ages. And the way they're kind of controlling crowds and responding to COVID is by offering reservations for a two-hour time slot. And there'll be music, old-fashioned arcade games and activities, things like fence painting and rope making. There's a frog toss, croquet, and then also these giant oversized puppet versions of famous literary figures walking around. There's plenty to do with with just that basic two-hour reservation time slot, just wandering around the grounds. But if you wanted to grab a spot for some of the specific literary performances, you have to reserve those spots separately. 
there's things like Emily Dickinson doing a performance, Edgar Allan Poe, Charles Dickens, and Mark Twain and his daughter, but also other shows like a Treasure Island show or one that they're calling The Duke and the Dolphin, which is described as a comic tragedy performed by two of the least famous actors in all of literature. And reservations for a Twain Fest are selling out, both for the general time slots and then those specific performances. So you should log on today to plan your visit. And the online reservations close at 6 a.m. on Saturday. But there is a phone number you can call if you want to be spontaneous. We'll put that number on our website. All right. Uh, And old-fashioned games, entertainment, and plenty of literature can all be found at Twain Fest on Saturday from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. outdoors in Old Town's Heritage Park. And now for some living authors. The San Diego Union Tribune Festival of Books takes place this weekend, and once again, it is virtual. Tell us how we can participate and which authors and panels are on your radar. So this event is mostly free. You can get a friend of the festival or champion of the festival registration that gets you access to a few special bonuses and perks like stickers or tote bags. But for the general admission, you do get access to all these author panels and readings. On my radar for sure is a one-on-one with Britt Bennett, who is the former San Diegan turned best-selling author. She'll be discussing writing race and identity. Jeff Vandermeer will be chatting about genre. There's Jonathan Safran Furrer will talk about climate and, and writing about the environment. There's locals Matt Coyle and Caitlin Rother, who will be discussing crime writing. Juan Felipe Herrera will do a Spanish language program. And then there's a couple of don't miss children's story times from Ziggy Marley, Matt De La Pena, Carson Ellis, and even Kenny Loggins. And you and I are doing panels too, Jade. I'm excited for those. You'll be speaking with Annette Gordon-Reed and Clint Smith about taking control of American history. And I'll be having a one-on-one with Viet Thanh Nguyen, who is the Pulitzer Prize-winning author of The Sympathizer, when we're talking about his new novel, The Committed. All these panels drop at the same time, so you can really take your time and design your own festival. Absolutely. And you really don't want to miss the conversation I had with Reed and Smith. It really is about putting an honest lens on history and the way that it's being taught. Also at Saturday's Festival of Books, we'll be announcing our KPBS 2021 One Book, One San Diego Selection. What do you know about the finalists? I am excited to find out what the selection is for sure, but we do know what the finalist books are. Um, There's some really thoughtful selections, and I think it would be great to see any of these picked. The finalists are James McBride's Deacon King Kong, which came out last year, poet Nguyen Phan Kwe Mai's beautiful debut novel, The Mountains Sing. There's Charles Yu's Interior Chinatown, Judith Human's memoir, Being Human, and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Jose Antonio Vargas's 2018 book called Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. And you can't go wrong with any of these. Tune in at 10 a.m. to the virtual San Diego Union Tribune Festival of Books to hear the 2021 One Book, One San Diego Selection, and listen to dozens of free workshops, panels, and readings. For details on these and more arts events, or to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon Evans. Julia, thank you. Thank you, Jade. Have a good weekend.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.